Jeremy, would you come on down? You may all remember Jeremy. Jeremy, whoa, whoa, whoa. There you go. All right. He almost got baptized before I was able to tell him. Just two weeks ago, on Sunday morning, Jeremy came down and said, I want to know that I know Christ as my Lord and Savior. And right here, he cried out to God and received Jesus as Lord and Savior. And he has come today to walk in believer's baptism. Jeremy, is Jesus Christ your Lord? Amen. Jeremy, it's upon your profession of faith that I baptize you, my brother, in the name of the Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, buried with Christ unto death, and raised to walk in newness of life. Amen. Amen. Let's pray. Father, we thank you. Oh, Father, we thank you for Jesus. We thank you for the sacrifice that we may have life, that we can celebrate today, that my brother once was lost, but now he is found. Lord, that he once was dead, but now he's alive in you. And Father, I pray that all of us as the body of Christ would remember that moment that you set us free and that we would rejoice with our brother today. Oh, Father, we love you. We praise you and we give you all glory. We want nothing more than your name to be lifted high and glorified today. For it's in your precious and holy name, the name above all names, the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. to be an intentional Christian grandparent, the most important thing for you to know is what the Bible says about that rule. To help a grandchild believe simply means that we start by giving them a front row seat to what faith looks like. There's never been a better time to be a grandparent living far away than your grandkid because of technology. The speed at which things have changed in our culture Uh, is absolutely dramatic. I I don't know if anyone else is more than a little dizzy about how quickly things went from being unthinkable to being unquestionable. We've got to be careful of social media. We've got to be careful of video games because they're so immersive and they're so amazing and challenging and fun. So what can beat this experience in a boy's life? Not much. Grandkids and adults would much rather hear a story than a lecture or a sermon anytime. I just realized I can be the answer to some other grandparents' prayer with the young people who are in my community. You have the resources to be the kind of grandparent that literally is making an eternal difference. So be there for them. Well, welcome. What an exciting beginning to our worship service today. Just a couple of announcements as we continue. Uh, Grandparents Ministry kicks off a a new opportunity tomorrow night. 
So the first Monday of each month, they'll be meeting in the youth room. If you are a grandparent and just want to come and check that out, uh, it'll be 6.30 in the youth room in the building immediately behind us. You'll get to watch one of these videos, connect with other grandparents, and talk about how you can intentionally invest spiritually and lead your grandchildren. Uh, a reminder, the Home Builders uh, Life Group class will begin next Sunday. If for, it's for engaged couples through about five years of marriage. If you are newly married, engaged, or young married and want to be part of that, it's going to meet in the bride's room in the lobby. You can uh, sign up at the grow table back here, and we can uh, point that out for you so you can know more about that. And one final reminder about the disaster relief training through the North American Mission Board. That will be February 18th and 19th. Uh, you can sign up at the Go table in the lobby uh, to be part of that. Uh, this is to prepare for opportunities for us to go out and share the love of Christ with neighboring uh, cities in the opportunity, in the <laughs> unfortunate opportunity of a disaster. So the church is going to pay for your training, but we need for you to sign up online. You have to complete some paperwork, and there's some things that need to happen. You can find out all the information you need about that at the Go table. So thank you this morning. Aaron? Good morning. Thank you for worshiping with us this morning, whether you're in the room or online. Uh, and if you are a guest with us, we're glad you're here. If you would fill out the welcome card that's in the seat back pocket in front of you, that would be great. And you will get a little bit more information about Luke 418 Fellowship. Not only do we want you to come on Sunday mornings, but also on Wednesday nights. And I wanted to tell you about an opportunity uh, on a Wednesday night coming up that we are going to have a night of worship. And we've entitled this night of worship, Testimony. Uh, we're going to be talking about God's faithfulness and, and the testimony of our ensemble. Uh, here at Luke 14, we have uh, the privilege of having an ensemble of about 13 singers uh, that, that sing just powerful uh, music, all centered around this time, around God's faithfulness and the testimonies in our lives. We're going to be singing uh, some Andre Crouch, some C.C. Winans, where uh, it, it's going to be a great night uh, of singing and praising together. We have a king that has a kingdom that has no end. And that's a good thing. Let's stand together and say our strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Let's sing this morning. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord. We will wait upon the Lord our God. You reign forever. Our hope, our strong
Now, now, Brother David has given me flack about having an ulterior motive of, of trying to get y'all to clap and everything like that. But I tell you what, how, how can you not when you have a God like our God? There is no God like our God. Amen. And let's sing to him. Let's give him praise this morning. Sing to the King who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the Lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, His empire shall bring. Amen. Joy to the nations. Sing to the king. Sing to the king who is coming to reign. Glory to Jesus, the lamb that was slain. Life and salvation, his empire shall bring. And joy to the nations when back again. We're going to see him face to face. For his returning, we watch and we pray. We will be ready the dawn of that day. And we'll join in singing. Lift up. the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings 
kings. Amen. Is that your king? Who shakes the whole earth with holy thunder and leaves us breathless in awe and wonder. The king of glory, the king above all kings. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. Then you would take my Here's what I want to tell you today is that we, we sang three songs this morning thus far, 
and all of them have been the same tempo, okay? All of them are, are kind of medium songs, but they're all speaking about God's kingdom and how it, it will uh, be forever that we will sing and we will praise the Lord. And I'm thankful that if God has a kingdom that has no end, that he is a good God, that he's a merciful God, because if he wasn't and he had a kingdom that had no end, then it'd be a pretty hard life, wouldn't it? But you had a king who came down as a man, lived a perfect life, and died on a cross for it, and then was risen on the third day. He is stronger than anything that is happening in our life. And when we put our trust in him, we can overcome this life and see him face to face at the end. I love this song. It just says that, that he is stronger than anything that we could be uh, having this life. Let's sing this together. There is love that came for us, humble to a sin's cross. You broke my shame and sinfulness. You rose again, victorious. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Faithfulness. I can't deny through the storm and through the fire there is truth that sets me free Jesus Christ who lives in me and you are stronger you are stronger sin is broken you have saved me it is Christ is risen, Jesus, you are Lord of all. You're Lord of all. We trust you, Jesus. No beginning and no end. You're my hope and my defense. You came to seek and save the lost. Come on. You paid it all. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted. Lift it up this morning, lift it up. So let your name be lifted higher, be lifted higher, be lifted higher. So let your name. Strong. 
into your presence and we are humbled that you would choose us Lord we pray that we would choose you each and every single day of our lives that we would wake up and and realize that everything that we do is worship we pray that we would be a living sacrifice to you Lord and as we are human and we're in this sanctification process Lord this stepping towards being like you We know that we may get off course. We know that the world around us is heavy, Lord, but if you have saved us, you will bring us back, Lord. You will forgive us. We pray that we would be uh, just looked at as as people of you today, that we would be men and women after your own heart. We pray that everything that we say and everything that we do would reflect your glory, that we would be a light to the world, a shining city on a hill that cannot be hidden. Because your kingdom has no end and you are our king. In Jesus' name, amen. This song I'm about to sing is a song that reminds me of when I came to know the Lord when I was 35 years old. And uh, it brought me to a understanding. And I heard it on a CD that I bought just recently. And I love it. And I'm going to sing it for you.
Use me in spite of the prodigal child that you know I am. Just as a deer runs to water, so does my soul to your father. A man after your own amazing song and just on Friday as we celebrated the life of Mike Speaks, I asked the Lord, I said, Father, show me. And there were so many things that he showed me about Mike Speaks to the point that I said Mike was a man after God's own heart. Brother Aaron, thank you for those words this morning. You know, this has been a hard week. As many of you know that Friday there was four funerals, two of which that I did and two others that many of us tried to go by and see the families. Yesterday there was two more celebration of lives. If you're counting, that makes six. There's another one coming up this Wednesday for Jerry Shaw. I saw Miss Carol here today and we are praying for you. I don't know where she's seated, right back here. And as I sat there and I dwelt on all that was happening, all these celebrations of life, as I tell people all the time, we want to honor the life comfort the family, and glorify the Father. 
That's our prayer. And I began to, yesterday evening, just say, Lord, I, I just, my, my mind, my heart, it's so difficult for me to transition from going and speaking to the families and preaching and, and these celebration of lives. And now tomorrow I come up here to speak your word. And I just cried out transparently to the Father and said, I need you. And the Lord told me this morning, there's no better passage than for us to be in Daniel chapter 2, verse 31 to the end. After a week of many funerals. Because see, Daniel chapter 2 is the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And in this dream there is prophecy. And Daniel even tells Nebuchadnezzar that what you have seen is what is going to take place. And church, I'm here to tell you that we have peace in the midst of a celebration of life, or some people call it a funeral, because of what we see in Daniel chapter 2. See, we just sang a song a minute ago that said, Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. I don't know about y'all, let me just say that again. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king. Amen. And this passage here is speaking of what is going to take place. What Jesus is going to do ultimately upon the cross and what he's going to do when he returns. And let me be very clear. I don't want to major on the minors. As Brother Ed always said, we major on the majors. For some of us, we're going to look at this dream and we're going to be trying so hard to figure out all the countries and what uh, country is this and what country is that, and that's the minors. I think that if we lose focus on that, trying to figure out all those things, we're going to miss what God is speaking here. And what He's telling us is what is going to take place. If you have your Bibles, and I hope you do, open to Daniel chapter 2, and I'm going to read 31 to the end. It's 18 verses, so just bear with me as we read. But this is God's Word for the people of God. Praise be to God. You, O King, were looking, and behold, there was a single great statue, the statue which was large and of extraordinary splendor. It was standing in front of you, and its appearance was awesome. The head of the statue was made of fine gold, its breast and its arms of silver, its belly and its thighs of bronze, its legs of iron, and its feet partially of iron and partially of clay. You continued looking until a stone was cut out without hands, and it struck the statue on the feet of the iron and clay, and it crushed them. Then the iron, the clay, the bronze, the silver, and the gold were crushed all at the same time, and became like chaff from the summer threshing floors. And the wind carried them away, so that not a trace of them was found. But the stone, oh, the stone that was struck, that struck the statue, became a great mountain and filled the whole earth. This was the dream, and now we will tell its ter- interpretation. I love how Daniel's like, hey, you wanted a dream, you wanted the interpretation, and here it is. The dream and the interpretation, verse 37. You, O king, are the king of kings, little k, by the way. 
to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, and the strength and glory. And wherever the sons of men dwell, or the beast of the field, or the birds of the sky, he has given them into your hands, and has caused you to rule over them all. You are the head of gold. After you will arise another kingdom inferior to you, then another third kingdom of bronze, which will rule over all the earth. Then there will be a fourth kingdom as strong as iron, inasmuch as iron crushes and shatters all things, so like iron that breaks it in pieces, it will crush and break all these into pieces. In that you saw the feet and toes partially of potter's clay and partially of iron, it will be a divided kingdom, but it will have in it toughness of iron inasmuch as you saw the iron mixed with common clay. As the toes of the feet were partially of iron and partially of pottery, so of the kingdom will be strong, some of the kingdom will be strong and part of it brittle. And in that you saw the iron mixed with common clay, they will combine with one another in the seed of man, but they will not adhere to one another, even as iron does not combine with pottery. Verse 44, I love this. In the days of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom which will never be destroyed. And that kingdom will not be left for another people. It will crush and put an end to all these kingdoms. But it will itself endure forever. Inasmuch you saw that a stone was cut out of the mountain without hands, and that it crushed the iron, the bronze, the clay, and the silver and the gold, the great God has made known to the king what will take place in the future. To, so the dream is true, and the interpretation is trustworthy. Then King Nebuchadnezzar fell on his face and did homage to Daniel and gave orders to present to him offerings and fragrant incenses. The king answered to Daniel and said, Surely your God is the God of gods and a Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries, since you have been able to reveal this mystery. Then the king promoted Daniel and gave him many great gifts and made him ruler over the whole province of Babylon and the chief Perfect uh, prefect over all the wise men of Babylon. And Daniel made a request to the king, and he appointed Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego over the administration of the province of Babylon while Daniel was at the king's court. Let's pray. Father, without the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, we cannot understand these words. But Father, we thank you that your word will not return void, and we ask right now, that the Holy Spirit of promise would illuminate the pages that we may understand and know and see the application for our life. For it's in your precious and holy name. Amen. So let me start with the dream. Here we see this statue made of multiple uh, gold uh, made of bronze, silver, uh, iron, and clay. And ultimately, it is representing four different kingdoms. Now, we know for sure that the first kingdom, the top of the, the, the uh, statue, is Babylon. How do we know that? Because he's speaking to King Nebuchadnezzar, and he tells him, hey, this is you. You're, you're this portion. It says this in verse uh, 36. It says 37. You, O king, are the king of kings to whom God of heaven has given. 
and the kingdom, the power, strength, and the glory. He's telling him that the head of gold, that's you. Now, I can just see Nebuchadnezzar being like, okay, I like this dream. So far, so good, Daniel. But then he says, but after you is going to be another kingdom. Now, we believe, and probably correct, that Medo-Persia is the next in this statue. Babylon, the gold, splendor, then the Medo-Persians. And during the Medo-Persian time, we have Zerubbabel. Y'all remember Zerubbabel rebuilt the temple, right? There you go. Zerubbabel is how you, I think you actually say it, rebuilt the temple. Esther becomes queen for such a time as this. And, this is very important, a decree is given to Nehemiah to go back and to rebuild Jerusalem, the walls of Jerusalem. The next country that we see is Greece, and we believe that that's more than likely correct, that the bronze was Greece and Alexander the Great. And then that of iron was Rome. During Rome, it was an extremely powerful, powerful nation. We see that Herod rebuilds the temple, the birth of Jesus Christ, the death and praise God, the resurrection of Jesus. And then in 70 AD, Titus of Rome destroys the temple. Right after that, two to three years later, for those who have gone with me to Israel, Masada falls. The zealots last stand. But then after that, In this dream, in verse 35, we begin to see that there is a stone that is cut without a hand. That stone comes and crushes all of the statue. And I love how it says that the statue became like chaff. Or, as I may say from southern Alabama, it became like dirt in the air. And it was gone. But what happened to the stone? The stone became a mountain and filled the earth. Obviously, the one that we know for sure is this one. For this is God's kingdom. This is God's kingdom. So we see in this dream that there are four kingdoms and then there is God's kingdom. Now, to go any further than that would probably become speculation. And let me just tell you that speculation is not a good thing when you're standing up here preaching the Word of God. And so I'm not going to speculate on what uh, the the iron and the clay and the toes, and as I told you at the very beginning of Daniel, we're not going to try to figure out what the uh, second toenail is of this statue. So we move on to the interpretation. The interpretation. And really, the interpretation here has two things. Man's kingdom and God's kingdom. Man's kingdom and God's kingdom. First, man's kingdom. If you look at verse 37 and in verse 38, the word given is in there. Y'all remember in chapter 1 and chapter 2, God gave Judah into the hands of 
King Nebuchadnezzar. God gave Daniel favor. God gave Daniel wisdom and understanding and interpreting of dreams. In chapter 2, God gave Daniel the ability to uh, understand the dream. And that was last week's message about how he praised God with thanksgiving for what he had done, how God had given. And now we see here in verse 37 and 38 that Nebuchadnezzar is only over a kingdom because God gave it to him. Because God gave it to him. You want to know why we have rulers and people in position and place today? It's only because God has given that authority to them. That's the reason why in the scripture God tells us to honor those who are placed in authority. Now that does not mean that when they call us to go against God's holy word. No, we have the King of kings and the Lord of lords who's over all authority that we submit to first and foremost. But the scripture tells us to honor our authority. Why? Because ultimately, he is the one who gives all things. I love how Daniel says in the interpretation, yes, you are Nebuchadnezzar, the the head of gold. That's you. And he's probably like, oh yeah, I like this. This is great. And then he says, but let me just tell you, everything you have was given to you by God. Everything. So we see that God gives. God places people in authority. In man's kingdom, we also see in verse 35 and on down in the interpretation that it's temporal. It's temporal. Man's kingdom is temporal. In verse 35, it says that it would be like dust, chaff in the winds. Think about this for a second. What happens, and I wanted to bring one of these, but it's not springtime, but one of the, somebody told me it was a weed, but one of those things that you pick up and you blow and the, the little pieces of it fly everywhere, y'all know, where, y'all know what I'm talking about? What is that called? Is that a dandelion? Okay, so dandelions. Somebody told me one time that if you blow that, that's actually the seeds going other places and then you're going to have even more, so I quit doing that. But think about that. You blow that and the wind takes it and all of a sudden it is no more. All of man's kingdoms are temporal all of them i love what tim said at mike's funeral celebration of life tim his son made this statement he said that on my dad's deathbed all the successes and accolades of this world meant nothing because when he breathed his last all that mattered was does he know Jesus Christ as his Lord and Savior? Because all those accolades, all the success, they were temporal. Temporal. Man's kingdom is temporal. The rise and the fall of nations, we see that God has ordained, God is in control of all of it. So we see that God gives, that man's kingdom is temporal and we see that all all a man's kingdoms will be destroyed all not just one not just two but all but then in this interpretation he goes into god's kingdom in verse 44 and in verse 44 it says in those days of the uh, in the days of the kings the god of heaven will set up a kingdom will never be destroyed, praise God. Church, I don't know about y'all, but I'm excited about that. That's the reason why I told you that 
after six funerals in a few days, this is one of the best passages that we could read. It's because God is setting up and has set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Which is why when somebody breathes their last who knows Jesus as their Lord and Savior, they're going to be part of the heavenly choir that will never be destroyed because they're part of God's kingdom. But it says first there's a stone. Now I know that many of you in this room immediately said, I know who the stone is. And yes, you're right. Jesus is always the right answer. But first it says that this stone is uncut by hand. What's being said here? I believe that this goes back to Luke chapter 2. To the virgin birth. The fact that Jesus was 100% human and 100% God. He was not created, for He has always been and will always be. Then it goes into who this stone specifically is. Jesus says this in Luke chapter 20, verse 17 through 18. He says, but Jesus looked at them and he says, what then is this that is written? The stone which the builders rejected, this became the chief cornerstone. Jesus Christ, born of a virgin, who stepped down from heaven, 100% God, 100% human, is the stone that the builders rejected but became the chief cornerstone. 1 Peter chapter 2, 4-8 actually goes into all the Old Testament discussion about the stone. It uses all three of the Old Testament scriptures. So I'll just read 1 Peter 2, 4-8. It says, And coming to him as to a living stone, which has been rejected by men, but is choice and precious in the sight of God. You also, as living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house for a holy priesthood to offer up spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For this is contained in the Scripture. Behold, I lay in Zion a choice stone, a precious cornerstone, and he who believes in him will not be disappointed the precious value then is for you who believe but to those who disbelieve the stone which the builders rejected this became the very cornerstone and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense for they stumble because they are disobedient to the word and doom this doom they were also appointed Church, when we look at Daniel chapter 2, we see a prophecy that Jesus Christ is coming. Remember, he is looking forward by faith to the cross. He sees that, that Jesus, the Messiah, is coming. He will be 100% human and 100% God. He will be divine, deity. He will live a perfect life. And He will be the stone that those who believe in will not be disappointed, but those who do not believe, they'll be destroyed. See, in God's kingdom, this stone... It smashes all man-made kingdoms. Now, there's two possible understandings to this. One is the understanding that when Jesus Christ came, he died, and praise God, he rose again on the third day. And when he did, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. Church, we need to be excited about that. 
1 Corinthians 15 tells us, Oh death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? And it says that we have victory through Jesus Christ. See, when Jesus came, he took upon him the the, the sin of, of the world for us. Those who believe in him, our sins placed upon Jesus on the cross. And the blood of Jesus was imputed upon us as righteousness that we could stand before God. See, he destroyed the kingdom of the devil. Satan is vanquished and Jesus is king, church. He came so that we could be set free from the kingdom of darkness and be in the kingdom of light, the kingdom of Christ. So one of the understandings is is that this rock destroys that whole, uh, not temple, that whole uh, statue because it's destroying the kingdoms. And yes, first we see the kingdom of, of Satan being destroyed at the cross. But then we also recognize that in Revelation 19, he's coming back. And when he does, all the kingdoms of this world will be destroyed. It says in Revelation 19, and if I get excited, just, you know, y'all get excited with me. But, and I saw heaven open and behold a white horse. And he who sat on it is called faithful and true. And in righteousness, in righteousness he judges and wages war. His eyes are a flame of fire and on his head are many diadems. And he has a name written on him which no one except him, uh, that no one knows except himself. He is clothed with a robe dipped in blood and his name is called the Word of God. And the armies which are in heaven, clothed in fine linens, white and clean, were following on white horses. From his mouth comes a sharp sword, so that with it he may strike down the nations. He may strike down the little kingdoms. And he will rule with a rod of iron, and he treads the winepresses of the fierce wrath of God, the Almighty. And on his robe and on his thigh, his name was written, King of Kings. And Lord of Lords. You say, David, which is it? Is it in Revelation 19 that all the kingdoms will be smashed, destroyed when Jesus comes back? Or is it when Satan's kingdom was destroyed at the cross? And let me tell you, it's both. Have you ever seen two mountaintops? You see two mountaintops and when you look at them like this, there's a valley in between that you can't see. Church, we're living in that valley. See, Jesus has come, and he has destroyed, smashed the works of Satan. As it says in Genesis chapter 3, he will crush the head of the enemy. He has defeated Satan. But let me tell you that all the kingdoms of this world will also be destroyed because there's only one kingdom that will endure forever. And Revelation 19 tells us that when he returns, out of his mouth will come a sword. I believe that it's just going to be a spoken word. Why? Because the word of God has talked about a double-edged sword. And out of his mouth will come a word. And all the little kingdoms of this world will not be able to stand against this one word from his mouth. But let me tell you, God's kingdom... Is not just set up by Jesus as the cornerstone. It doesn't just smash all the little kingdoms, but it's also eternal. 
Oh, I love verse 44. And if you have not underlined and circled and starred this in your Bible, you need to. It says, in those days uh, of the kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed. You want to know what the theme of this whole dream is? Is that God's kingdom will endure forever. You want to know what ultimately Daniel is telling through the interpretation that was given to God? Is that nothing will stop God. He is in control and his kingdom is eternal. Psalm 145 verse 13, your kingdom is everlasting kingdom and your dominion endures throughout all generations. Praise God. Daniel 7, which is another dream that Daniel, uh, or excuse me, another interpretation. And so here we see almost the same thing as in Daniel 2. And he says this in 7.14. He says, and to him was given dominion, glory, and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and men of every language might serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which will not Pass away, church, and his kingdom is one which will not be destroyed. Whew. God's kingdom is eternal. I don't know about y'all, but when you have six funerals in one week, to know that those who have breathed their last, that they're part of a kingdom that will never be destroyed. Church, do you realize that all kingdoms of this world will be destroyed? But God's kingdom is eternal. Let me just go to verse 27 of Daniel 7 and just read this to you. It says, Then the sovereignty, the dominion, and the greatness of all the kings under the whole heaven will be given to the people of the saints of the highest one. And his kingdom will be an everlasting kingdom and all the dominions will serve and obey him. So we see the interpretation. Man's kingdom is temporal. Man's kingdom is under God's control. He's the one who places and gives them authority. We see that all kingdoms will ultimately be destroyed like the dust, the chaff. We see God's kingdom. It, Jesus will set that up through the cross. We saw that. Satan's kingdom was destroyed. Satan is vanquished. Jesus is king. And we see that God's kingdom will be eternal. It is eternal. It always has been and it always will be. So let's go to the last point. The application. Church, there's a lot of things that we just talked about. So let's bring this home. First, for those who do not know Christ as Savior, the little kingdoms, and I say little kingdoms, the little K kingdoms that you are building will fall and be no more. Jesus, the precious stone, the cornerstone, he came and he died. And he rose again on the third day so that you could be a part of God's kingdom. But you must receive and let go of all the other kingdoms. The scripture talks about counting the cost. It says that it cost us everything, our whole life. What does that mean? That we lay down the little kingdoms of this world and that we submit to the lordship of Christ and his kingdom. I mentioned to you just a minute ago that Mike, on his, uh, in the last days of his life, Tim shared 
that there was nothing that mattered other than his father knowing Jesus as Lord and Savior. All the things that you build, all the accolades and all the success are like shifting sand. And they will be like the dust, the chaff. Do you know Christ as your Lord and Savior? Have you submitted to the Lordship of Christ? If you are in here today, the first application is to someone who does not know Christ. All these little kingdoms will never satisfy you. And all you'll do is keep trying to build something that you really don't even have the authority to keep. Have you submitted to the Lordship of Christ? To the church, God has given me three applications to speak. First, this is not our home. This is not our home. The fact that God is setting up an eternal kingdom means that to the exiles, Babylon is not forever. Think about this for a second. King Nebuchadnezzar was concerned about this dream, but this dream was more, I believe, for the exiles than it was even for Nebuchadnezzar. Because the exiles got to hear that God's kingdom is everlasting. They were reminded that there's a stone, a precious stone, that's going to crush all these little kingdoms. This is not our home. First Peter tells us that we are strangers and aliens in this world. We see in Hebrews 13, 14, for we do not have a la- uh, we do for here we do not have a lasting city, but we are seeking the city which is to come. Church, do you recognize this is not your home? Because when we recognize this is not our home, we stop worrying so much about building up our little kingdom, and we start saying we want to build up the kingdom of God. When we start realizing that this is not our home, and and hear me out as your pastor, I love you dearly, but when we realize that this is not our home, we come to a place that our earthly nationality does not come before our eternal citizenship. Let me just say that again. Even with me wearing a pin this morning with the American flag on it, I'm telling you that before an American, I am a believer, a son of of God. As it says that we are children of God. I'm a bondservant. Church, we must recognize that. Because in Revelation 7, 9 through 12, it talks about what it's going to look like in our eternal citizenship. After these things I looked and behold a great multitude which no one could count from every nation and tribe and people and tongue standing before the throne and before the Lamb clothed in white robes and palm branches were in their hands and they cried out with a loud voice saying salvation to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Church, it says every tongue, every tribe We must recognize that at the end of the day that we have more in common with those who are not American but are believers in Christ than we have with those who are American who do not know Christ as our Lord and Savior. And we must recognize that our focus must be, and here's the second thing, on the eternal kingdom. On the eternal kingdom. 
1 John chapter 2.17, the world is passing away and also it's lust, but the one who does the will of God lives forever. Church, we must be focused on the eternal, the souls of men. That's the reason why Jesus said to his disciples, go and make disciples of all nations. That's the reason why I tell you when you leave this place, you are going to evangelize and share the gospel. Because at the end of the day, our little kingdom will not last forever, but the souls of men will. Are we going to share the truth about the eternal kingdom, about Jesus Christ? In Mark 8, it says that Jesus summoned the crowd with his disciples And he said to them, if anyone wishes to come after me, he must deny himself. Take up his cross and follow me. He who wishes to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses it, loses his life for my sake and the gospel will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what will a man give in exchange for his soul? I read that passage to you because how often... Do we focus in on our kingdom instead of what's eternal? This passage here is telling us that we must recognize that we have laid all that down. All of it down. We don't have to worry about protecting the things, the material things of this world and our little kingdoms and because ultimately God is the one who gives us all things. He gives us what we need, church. Matthew 6, 19-21, Do not store up your treasures on earth where moth and rust will destroy it and where thieves break in and steal it. I've been told one time that it's hard to store it up where moth and rust can get it when you're spinning it so fast, right? It's out of your hands before the rust can get it. But it says, store up your treasures in heaven. Store up your treasures in eternal things that last forever. It says where neither moth nor rust destroys or where thieves can break in or steal. And then, man, powerful, powerful passage here. It says for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. And just a few verses down, Jesus says, Seek first his kingdom and his righteousness and all these other things will be added to you. Church, we must recognize that we must focus on the eternal. We must focus on the eternal. Not the temporal. Not the comforts. Praise God for the comforts. But we must recognize that we're going to focus in on the eternal. So this is not our home church. We are to focus in on heavenly things, the eternal. But there's one more thing that the Lord put on my heart as application from this. The exiles had strength to stand in the midst of Babylon because they knew the end. We have strength to stand today in the midst of our society because we know the end. We know the end, church. I've read the end. I don't know about you. I just read you a portion of it, Revelation 19, right? But can I tell you, God wins? God wins. Satan was vanquished at the cross. And three days later, Jesus stepped forth from the tomb, 
conquering death, hell, and the grave. God wins, church. And if he wins, what are we worried about today? If he wins and we know our future, then why are we so concerned? David, do you see what's happening? Do you know what's happening? Yeah, I do. But I know who my God is. Are you concerned about this and that? Sure, I'm concerned about these types of things. But at the end of the day, I know that God is in control. And as we talk about in 1 John on Wednesday nights, greater is he that is in me than he that's in the world. Hey, let me just tell you, I've read about what God does and I've seen it in my own life. The world ain't got no chance. I mean, I'm just being very, very transparent. I mean, even at the end of this vision, uh, interpretation of this vision, what does he say here? But this is true and trustworthy. You can take it to the bank. You can take it to the bank. We know the end, church. Let me give you the best example I know to end this time. Many of y'all did not know. I'm about to shock y'all. But many of y'all did not know I was a Cincinnati Bengals fan. And you know why you didn't know? Because there's none to cheer about for the last 12 years, right? <laughs> but I got married to a young lady who lived right across the river from Cincinnati. And all of her life, she's cheered for the Bengals, bless her heart. I didn't even know she was a Bengals fan for the first five years of marriage. And I said, you know what, I'm going to cheer with you. I'm going I'm to support you and we're going to, you know... Well, we finally have something to cheer about, right? Leslie's already ordered all these t-shirts and things. And I was like, Leslie, don't you have some? She goes, David, we haven't had any success, so why would you have shirts? But for some of you, you know, if you've watched, in the postseason, the games have come down to a field goal. Like the last minute, in overtime. And Leslie and I are sitting on the edge of our chair. Some people watched it with us. All of a sudden, the kick goes up, and it's good, and we're jumping up and down, and and we're so excited, and all of these things. And I'll tell you, it is like, it's tough to watch those games because you don't know the end. I've got an idea what we're going to do for the Super Bowl. We're going to DVR it, and we're going to see who wins. And then I'm going to go back and watch it knowing who wins. Can you imagine if the last game, remember they were, for those who don't understand football, I get this and I hope that you get, my, get this illustration, but here's the thing, they were playing one of the best teams in the league and they go into overtime, but if I would have known that Cincinnati wins in the end and I'm watching the game, I'd be like, oh, you don't have to worry, they're about to kick a field goal. Oh, you mean that the Chiefs get the ball first in overtime? No need to fear, I'm good. I know what's about to happen. I'm sitting there in my chair just saying, you know what? Hey, I know that, that, you know, he's ultimately going to turn the ball over. And yeah, I'm not, watch this. Oh, hey, watch this. Can you imagine watching a game differently, knowing the end of the game? It's so peaceful. Church, we know the end of the game. Jesus wins. God wins. It changes how we look at our life. 
It changes how we look at our circumstances. It changes how we uh, proceed today. We're going to share the gospel with others all around us, even if there's persecution, even if there's suffering, even if there's pain, because I know that I'm going to an eternal kingdom and God wins. And I want every person to know that and to go with me to heaven. I want every person that I can to share the gospel with so that they too would be set free from the little kingdoms that are going to be destroyed. Church, God wins. Listen, you can get so focused in on which kingdom and which is this and which is that. God is telling the exiles. He's telling Nebuchadnezzar. He's telling them that there's one kingdom that will stand forever. And that kingdom will be set up ultimately through Jesus on the cross and raised again on the third day. And it has happened. And let me tell you something. Jesus is no longer in the tomb. No, he is seated next to God the Father. And he will never be dethroned. Church, I believe that the exiles saw this dream and interpretation. And they said, praise God. Praise God. Yes, we're going through a painful time. But God wins. Church, if we truly believe that, it will change how we live our days. Doesn't it say in the scripture, why do we worry? Why do we fear? God wins. I feel like that's going to be my new slogan. God wins. God wins. And when the pains of life and the suffering comes my way, I'm going to let the enemy know, hey, by the way, in case you've forgotten, God wins. I understand there's pain and suffering, but let me tell you, I can rejoice in the midst of the suffering because God wins. I can rejoice in the midst of difficult situations because God wins. And I'm going to proclaim to the world that His kingdom is eternal. And I pray that you too would join in doing that.